I want to tell you a story that Nancy tells a lot better than I do because I am a guy and she's a girl and she likes details and I don't. And she's really good at telling this story and I'm really not. So if you want to really hear the story, then you go talk to her. But the story is about us. It's about me and it's about her. When I came to Murray State in the fall of 1995 as a freshman... I had college algebra as one of my first classes, and thank God it was the only math class I had to take the whole time I was there because that was enough for me. I settled on being a history major because I figured history doesn't change much. I can remember a few facts, good to go, easy study. I didn't want anything too hard, so that's why I went with that. But in that first college algebra class, there was a young lady from southern Illinois who happened to be in there as well. And it was one of those deals where I sort of noticed her and she sort of noticed me and that's where it stopped. We didn't really say anything to one another. We just sort of, maybe you've played those games before and we kind of look across and you make eye contact and you turn back real fast. You know, all those games that you play, of course. And, and then, lo and behold, as the Lord would have it, the next semester we had jazz appreciation. <laughs> I didn't have a clue why I was taking jazz appreciation. I had no idea. I just thought, well, okay, I've got to have an elective. It seemed easy to me, absolutely. And I thought, all right, I... jazz appreciation was hard. It was hard. I Listen, but I appreciate jazz now because that's where I met who now is my wife. I met Nancy in jazz appreciation. Now, I, I thought I was pretty slick because... It was in the old Baptist church building on Murray State's campus, which has since been torn down. It's right across from where Sparks Hall is. And that's where it was. And so it was a room that held, uh, I guess, about 70 or 80 people or so. And it was fairly full. And, and yet, you know how it is in college. You don't really have assigned seats. So you just come in and you pick your spot. And so my roommate and I, we sat in about as far back as we could get. We, he, he had grown up Methodist. I had grown up Baptist. So I converted him to sit in the back, if you understand what I mean. <laughs> And so, so we sat toward the back of class. So Nancy and her roommate, Christy, they were right in the middle. You know, just great students. There they are. You know, they got there early. All the front seats, of course, were taken. There they are, as close as they can get. So I thought, and i got a real tough choice to make here. I'm going to have to act like I'm interested in jazz appreciation. So I just moved slowly but surely. Each class, you know, every time we just moved a little closer. All of a sudden, we're right behind them. How did that happen? And so we began to, to talk a little bit and get to know one another and just become friends. And we, well, I made excuses to find, you know, I, I don't understand this jazz stuff. You know, would you mind if we got together and you kind of helped me understand jazz appreciation? I'll be appreciated more because I, my appreciation is lacking. And so I, I did. And, and she was gracious enough to, to, to play jazz music for me and try to teach me the difference between Louis Armstrong and, and the other artists that were that we're studying, and as you can tell, I don't remember a whole lot about that class. <laughs> but we we did not begin dating that spring. We we uh, we went home for the summer and and uh, kind of kept in touch a little bit. I believe we talked on the phone once or twice, and and then once the fall came, uh, I, I noticed a significant difference in her. I'll be honest with you, I did not know if Nancy was a Christian or not when we first met. I didn't know if she was a believer in Christ, and so. It had been ingrained in me, and thankfully so, that I, I was not going to pursue anyone who was not also a believer in Christ. And so I, I didn't know. Well, lo and behold, she had come to faith in the Lord that April of 1996 over at Westside Baptist Church. The pastor there, Glenn Orr, had led her to the Lord. And, 
And she had gotten saved, and, and a, a drastic change had taken place in her. Now, Nancy was not a uh, person you would call a, an obvious heathen before her salvation, if you understand what I mean. But at the same time, there was a heart change in her that I could notice that fall. Uh, I was probably more of the heathen than she was, but I probably am. She's not in here, so I can say all this. But anyway, that, that fall I noticed a change. And so I, I thought, you know what, Lord, I, I believe this is the, the young woman that you want me to, be, to begin pursuing. And so, so I did. And we began to date in September of that year, September of 1996. And our story was one that within two weeks, we could have gotten married if, if, if our parents would have not fallen over at that point. We, within two, we just, it was one of those deals, and I don't want to say it to, to, to overwhelm you if that's not your story, but we just sort of knew. That was it. It was over for us. And In fact, Nancy, she would tell this much better, but the, the first class we had together, that college algebra class, she went home and she told her sorority sisters and her roommate, she said, I've, I've seen the guy I'm going to marry. She knew it ahead of the way. We hadn't spoken yet. It was kind of scary. But, but, but that's what she said. She said, that's who I'm going to marry. And, and it took me a little while longer to get on board with God's will, apparently. But that's our story. And so we dated for a couple of years. We were engaged uh, right after our junior year of, of college. I began to pay on her engagement ring. That was back when layaway was big. And there was a, a jeweler, the, fin, the Finleys. Uh, and and they, were, they were jewelers. And they were going to Westside Church. And I, I went to them and I said, look, I want to marry this girl. I don't have a dime. Can I buy a ring? And they said, look, just pay on it whenever you can. So, so I proposed about two days after I just paid the ring off. There was nothing special about it. And so we were then married the following year in June of 1999, right after she had graduated and I had student teaching to do. And, and then we had our, our wedding there at my home church in Louisville, and, and it was great. We, we had so many friends and family, and, and we exited, just so you know. Just, it just you want to think that I am warped, and you probably already do, then I'll just confirm it for you. We, the song we left to was Take Me Out to the Ball Game. <laughs> In bluegrass style. That was the way that it was, and so the banjos and the fiddles were playing Take Me Out to the Ball Game as we walked out of the sanctuary, and so Nancy, just as warped as I am, we had on our napkins crossed bats and a baseball. I mean, that's what we had there, you know, so we come by it honestly, but that's our story, and so you know, we, we, we had such a, a wonderful time dating, and of course, the wedding day was beautiful, and we've been married now for 14 and a half years, and it's interesting to see how you begin to think about those things at certain times in your life. What's really interesting is my daughter Lucy now is beginning to think about weddings, and she's always kind of been that way. I don't think that she has any designs on getting married anytime soon. In fact, she has to find a man she can tell exactly what to do all the time because that's her personality. And so, young fellas, if you're interested in her, just recognize that already. She's going to tell you what to do. But we've had two major weddings in our home already. We've had two sets of teddy bears that have gotten married, and then last week we had a a, a Beauty and the Beast, literally Beauty and the Beast, got married in our home up there in Nora's room. And so, boy, the, the aisles were lined with friends and family of Beauty and the Beast. And it's amazing, isn't it, how we plan for those kinds of things. And then I think about folks that I've done premarital counseling for. And, and boy, you know, they're so stressed. I think the, the major amount of stress there comes from trying to get ready for the wedding day. So much to do, so many things to take care of, and, and all the stuff that goes into that, and the flowers, and the photographer, and the videographer, and the building, and the reception, and, and all the stuff. And I always tell them from the very beginning, I said, look, 
I think your wedding day is going to be great. But let me just be honest with you. It's the first day of your marriage. That's it. Now, I'm not going to, you know, going to get on you for being stressed about these things. But let me tell you, we're here to prepare for your marriage, not for your wedding day. Because there is a big, big difference, as you know. Unfortunately, a lot of times what we do is we simply focus on the wedding day. Now, you may be parents here who have married off a child or two, and you know the stress and the expense that comes with that particular wedding day. But I would guarantee you that you would say to those children, look, we want to make this as beautiful as possible. We want this to be that dream come true for you if we can make it that. But, but really, this is just one day. Don't, don't spend all your time just focused on that. That's what I try to tell folks, because here's the sobering truth. And this is what I want you to get. If you're a parent, if you are a grandparent, if you're a, a, a person who is unmarried this morning and you say, you know, I, I'm going to one day maybe be married. Let me, let me tell you this, and, and this again is for parents as well, for preparing your children. You are building your marriage long before your wedding day. You realize that? That you are building your marriage long before your wedding day. You say, well, hold on, I'm not even married yet. Or, or before I got married, I, I wasn't married. What are you even saying to me? I, I just want you to understand that long before you get married, you are building what will be your marriage. Why? Because you take yourself into marriage. Wherever you are, there you go. And wherever you go, there you are. We're in a series that we've called Family Matters, because family does matter, and there are matters that every family has to deal with, and certainly marriage is a big one. Now, I have not saved this for last for any other reason than it just happened to be what I thought of last you know, when I was writing all these sermons down, and I thought, well, this, we'll just address those things at the end. So what I hope to do today is for those who are unmarried, for those who are helping those who are unmarried, that means raising children, grandchildren, maybe friends or, so, or whomever, to give us a guide for how can we, just very simply and very generally, I'll just tell you, I'm not going to give you every detail, I won't answer every question, but how can we very simply and very generally track toward being ready for the marriage that God may bring to us? There are some things that I kind of assume this morning as I stand up to preach, and one of those is that most people at some point in their lives will get married. Not all, and I want you to know this, that if you're not married here today, there is nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. You, you are not damaged goods. You are not somebody that God loves less. You are not somebody that God has overlooked. There, there is nothing wrong with you. I want you to know that. And I don't say that just to kind of pump you up. I say that because I don't trust you're going to hear it anywhere else. There is nothing wrong with you. You may have married friends and you see them doing their thing and you think, well, maybe I just need to do that. Let me tell you this. If your only goal in life is just to get married at any cost, you're going to cost yourself dearly. And so there's nothing wrong with you. God may have you right where He wants you for a specific purpose that has yet to be revealed to you, so be content where God has you. But that doesn't mean that you can't desire to be married. There's nothing wrong with that desire. God may have placed that in you. So I, my assumption is that most people, not all, but most will at some point get married. Another assumption is that people who do get married want a good marriage. I've yet to meet a person who is getting married, and I'm doing premarital counseling, and they say, you know, in all honesty, I just I hope this thing fails with five, within five years. I, I'm gonna, I, 
I got nothing to do for that period of time. I'm just, I'll be married to this person. After that, I just hope it falls apart. I really, I just hope my marriage is awful. I hope it causes me all kinds of trouble. I hope it drives me insane and I'm depressed for the rest of my life. I hope that's what I, I've never met a person like that. Have you? Everybody who gets married wants to have a good marriage. So, so that's part of it. I also believe that most people, if not, uh, well, so many, many, if not most unmarried people probably are preparing for marriage either not at all or maybe preparing the wrong way. Now, I'm not saying that most folks in here, because by virtue of you being here this morning, you are trying at least to understand what God has to say about who you are and what you should be doing. But most folks in the world are probably either not preparing or they're preparing the wrong way. So we need some information. And then I, I also believe that many parents in here probably never consider their children's eventual marriages until... They begin to date someone that you don't want them to marry. And you think, oh my goodness. I've got to stop this if I can. And so I, I want to encourage you, if you are a parent, let's begin very early on, or at least as far as we can from this day forward, to consider that we are responsible to help train our children for the kinds of marriages God wants them to have. If you've got your Bible, or if you have got a phone or a tablet and you want to go to the Bible app and look it up, I'm going to be this morning in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. Now, the Bible is divided Old and New Testament. In the New Testament, you have the very first book called Matthew. So if you can find the New Testament, go to the very beginning of that, and you'll see Matthew flip over to chapter 19. And I'm going to look in verse 3, and we'll read through verse 9. Matthew chapter 19. Look at verse... Three, the idea being that what does Jesus have to say about how we can be prepared for marriage? And we'll look at what he has to say about it in general and then draw from that. Look in verse 3 of Matthew 19. Some Pharisees approached him to test him, talking about Jesus. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Haven't you read that? Now, by the way, that was a really smart aleck comment from Jesus. I just want you to know that. I mean, Jesus never sinned. We make that very clear. But he and the Pharisees went round and round, and any, ch any chance he got to kind of call them out. Do you know the Pharisees knew the Scripture better than anybody? So when Jesus said, haven't you, haven't you read this? Well, of course they had read it. He's kind of getting at them a little bit. I kind of like Jesus because of that. <clears throat> He's just a normal guy. You realize that, don't you? He just so happens to also be God who was a normal guy to show us how to live. Now, that's a completely different sermon. But anyway, I like Jesus. And so, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. Why then? They weren't satisfied. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. And I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now that's Jesus on marriage right there. There's what he teaches in, in general in, in summation about marriage. Now the Pharisees here had had this idea of marriage ingrained in them for a long time. The idea being that if your wife does not please you in some way, whatever way that may be, she burns dinner, 
uh, she she doesn't keep the the, the, the floor swept up. Uh, she gets up and her hair's a little matted on one side and she hasn't fixed it quickly enough. She forgot her makeup that day. Whatever it may be, she doesn't please you in some way, then that is grounds for you to give her divorce papers and send her away. Now, I, I say all that to let you know that was true. They, they, they could divorce their wives based upon really any kind of grounds, which she kind of made me angry today. I'm done with her. You know, I, I'm not sure any marriage would ever get past the second day, you know, after, if that were the case. But, but that was the Pharisee. So they had this idea ingrained in them. And so if any of them were to get married, you realize they had been preparing for their marriages long before their wedding days. That was their mode of thinking, that we can just get rid of this at any time. And Jesus obviously comes against that. And I want to show you by, by way of implication here what Jesus tells us on how we can be prepared for marriage. What He teaches, if we will apply that long before our wedding days, and if you will help your children and grandchildren understand this and get this, then I believe it can change marriages before they even begin. Now, I want to give you some ways this morning from what Jesus says to, to prepare, some very specific things. But let me first tell you, I think, what are some incomplete uh, ways to prepare for marriage. Now, parents, uh, hear me here because, uh, again, I don't want to give your children any reason to hold something against you. And so if you're a young person or an unmarried person, you got to listen real close. Because a few weeks ago, of course, I told you that it was an incomplete goal for your parents to want you to clean your room. But that doesn't mean it's a wrong goal. So hear me for a second, all right? Here are some incomplete things I really think. I, I think that, that it's incomplete to, to say, well, once I get to a certain level of income or financial stability, then I'll be prepared for marriage. All the people who are married here today say you ain't ever going to have enough money. If you're waiting until you've got enough money to get married or have kids, you're going to wait forever. That's just the way that it is. Nancy and I still, you still, all of us still say, oh, we don't have enough. To, that's just the way that it is. So if you're waiting to get to some point of financial stability, you're going to wait forever. Now, does that mean you should be financially irresponsible? No, don't hear me say that. I also think that achieving some level of education is an incomplete goal before you get married. Well, I've got to have my master's degree, and then I've got to have my doctorate, or whatever it may be. I think that is maybe good. Maybe your stage of life dictates that you need to wait until that stage is over, that phase is over. And parents, your wisdom obviously needs to be what your children will listen to. But at the same time, it's not that all of a sudden you get that degree and now you're ready. You ever notice college graduates? What, do they, what does college do for them? It convinces them they know everything. Isn't it? You remember back when you first got out of college and you just, oh, I got it all now. You see that degree hanging on my wall? Bachelor of Science. Bachelor of Arts. I know everything. We'll move on. <clears throat> Another incomplete goal is that if you reach a certain age, then now you're prepared to get married. You realize some people never grow up? Now listen, I'll just look around real fast because I won't settle on. There are some folks here who are middle-aged and you never grew up. And it wasn't because you turned 21 or you turned 25 or you turned 30 and all of a sudden now that qualifies you to be ready for marriage. There's no certain age that qualifies you to be ready. Now there, there is probably evidence that says, well, you know, if you get married really, 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 really young, let's say 10 or 11, you're probably getting married a little too soon, if you will. My daughter's 10, so I'm going to dissuade all, all of that. But you understand what I'm saying. There's no specific age. And, and I also think that 
that getting to the point where, well, I'm established as an individual, and now I feel like I'm ready to move into that phase, that's incomplete. There may be some things that you need to grow in and, and maybe begin a career or something like that. That may be God's path for you, but it's not necessary that all those things be in place. What is necessary is what we'll look at. First... How do you prepare for marriage? Parents, how can you help your children prepare for marriage? First is to have the right view of marriage. You'll see that on your outline there. Have the right view of marriage. And in that, let me give you one little caveat to that, and I'll give you another one in just a second. The first part of that is to understand its importance. If you're going to have the right view of marriage, if you're going to be prepared, you've got to understand what marriage is, and that begins with understanding its importance. Look back at verse 3. Some Pharisees approached him to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? They didn't take marriage seriously. It wasn't important to them. It was a status symbol. It was something that they they lived in a very patriarchal society, and the man ruled everything and told the wife to get out if he didn't like what she had done. And they they didn't see marriage for what it was. I want to tell you that marriage is far beyond a piece of paper. I've had people in my family and friends, and I'm sure you have too, who say, well, I, I don't need a piece of paper to prove that I love this person. And I say, well, maybe emotionally not, but in commitment, why not? In commitment... Why is it that you say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll love you, I'll, I'll even move in with you, but I'm, we're not going to get married? Why not? Well, I want to say it's probably because, in a lot of cases, you're not that committed. You realize that when you sign those wedding papers, you may say, well, this didn't change the way I feel. Of course not. But you know what? Now there's no easy way out. You know what, now it's legal, and now it's binding, and now there is something that's going to happen if you decide you want out. And I'm not saying for anyone here that if you happen to be living with someone, or if you did before you were married, married, that you are bound for hell, and that's it. Please don't hear that. But I want you to know that it is far beyond just a piece of paper. It is extremely important to God. It makes it legal and exclusive. And, and just like, if you will, if you'll allow me the liberty, just like Beyonce put it in the song, if you're really committed, what she say? If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. <laughs> you even see that. Even somebody like that who's out in the world who probably has no spiritual reference whatsoever says, you know what? If you're really committed, let's get married. It's that important. It's that big of a deal. Don't hear me say it. Hear God said, hear what Jesus is going to have to say in response to the Pharisees. They said, who cares? We'll just have no commitments. We'll just in and out. It doesn't even make any difference. Let me tell you this. It matters to God. It's important to Him. It's not like buying a car where we just take a test drive here and there and say, well, I didn't like that one too much. Well, you know, this one's all right, but I tell you what, boy, there it is right there. That's the one. It's not like that, is it? Boy, marriage isn't like that. Pre-marriage shouldn't be like that either. You realize that marriage is so important that no human relationship is going to affect you like your spouse will. They can make you the happiest person on earth and make you hate everybody and them all in the same couple of minutes. That's just the way that it is, isn't it? They, nobody can make you more angry than your spouse. It's that important. Understand its importance. It is the second most important decision of your life. 
right after your decision to follow Jesus Christ, nothing is more important than your marriage. Not only that, but understand God's design. Verse 4, Haven't you read, Jesus said, that He who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And He also said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. He says, Don't you know that from the beginning... Now, from the beginning, he's talking about way back over in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, when he puts Adam in the garden and he says it's not good for man to be alone. We'll get into more of that next week. It's not good for man to be alone. Let me create a helper suitable for him. And he establishes the gift of marriage. And that, in Genesis 2, is when when God says a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That's God's design. So God's design for marriage is one man and one woman forever. Now, regardless of what is popular in society, and I will not say this, let me just tell you this real quick, I will not say this to you because it's popular to land it with you. I realize that in churches I could, tar- I could talk about a couple of things and get you fired up and have you thinking, boy, I'm just, oh, all right. But I'm not going to say it because it's popular here, and I won't avoid it because it's unpopular in the world. When God said it's between a man and a woman, that's it. That settles it. Homosexual marriage is not just another form of marriage. It is detestable to God Himself, and it is a sin. Now, that does not mean that it is beyond the grace and reach of Jesus Christ from the cross. In any way, not at all. And that does not mean that our response to those who are in homosexual relationships needs to be one of coming out swinging with haymakers. That's not the response. But I will not back down from the truth of what Scripture says, that in the beginning God created them male and female, and that's when He established marriage. It was not an invention of men. You realize that? We did not come up with marriage. Therefore, we cannot define or in our minds redefine what marriage is, no matter how popular it is in society, no matter what any politician, any cultural figure, no matter what the world says, no matter what the law of the land says, God gets the final word, and we better stand with Him. Now, I don't say that because it's popular here. I say it because it's true. And you may need to wrestle with some of that this week. Because I'll tell you this, if you know anybody who's caught up in a homosexual relationship, you're going to be torn because you care about that person. You're going to care about them. It's hard. It's difficult. How do I handle that? I challenge you. I encourage you. Don't just stand on the truth and start throwing haymakers. Speak the truth in love, but make sure that you're Holy Spirit-led when you do it. It's hard. It's difficult. I don't say that again to make anybody feel bad or to, to make anybody think that, that, that I'm totally against you. I am against sin and so is God, but I, I believe that Jesus died for you. I believe that Jesus died for anyone who's caught up in sin, no matter what sin that it is. Because here's the thing, not only must we understand God's design is, is for a man and a woman, but it's also forever. <laughs> and when we turn the mirror on ourselves and we look and we say, what's our view of marriage regarding how quickly we'll run toward divorce? Then we say, well, he who is without sin, let's cast the first stone. You understand what I'm talking about. We have folks, obviously, that we know and, and that you're related to. And, we, and maybe some folks in here have struggled with this, their view of marriage. And we say, well, you know, I'm just, I, I just moving on. I'm sorry. I'm not going to deal with this anymore. And you go back to God's design. It's one man and one woman 
forever. You know, our world tells us that divorce is okay. It doesn't matter. Just move on. It's, it's all right. Pick up the pieces. But you realize how devastating divorce is to families. Many of you have been through that. You wouldn't wish that on anybody. I don't care what your spouse did. I don't care what they, they, they were probably totally in the wrong. But I'll tell you, you would not wish that on anybody to go through it. We've got to understand God's design. And that means that it's one man, one woman forever. If you're an unmarried person, if you're the parent of unmarried people, start there. Have the right view of marriage. It is highly important to God. And He's the one who gets to say what it is. Wrestle with that this week. Now, let me encourage you this week. Here, here's just a simple little statement that you can take home with you. I will take marriage as seriously as God does. Now, for some of you, you're already there. That's okay. You just, that's not a big deal for you. But for others, maybe you just need to wrestle with that just a little bit and say, Lord, I, I'm struggling here. God, I, I don't know. I mean, he's talking about this with you know, a man and a woman exclusively kind of stuff. And Lord, for life. And I, man, I'm struggling. I don't expect you just to, to agree readily with all of that stuff. I just want you to wrestle with it and let God speak to you. And so maybe this week you just say, Lord, all right, I'll take it as seriously as you do, so teach me. So have the right view of marriage. And then secondly, take the right steps. You want to be prepared for marriage. You want to help prepare your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your friends. Take the right steps. The first in that is to follow a godly model. Now, I'll just tell you all three of these, and these fill-in-the-blank start with F. I alliterated like a good Baptist preacher is supposed to do. Yeah, just, they all, you're going to be really impressed. So if you're trying to guess what the fill-in-the-blanks are, they all start with F on this one. Follow a godly model. Jesus says here in verses 4 to 6 that, that a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they will become one flesh, and they're no longer two but one. So what God has joined together, let man not separate. Here's what marriage is supposed to look like. Husband and wife united. That means united together in every single aspect. We'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but... You know, one of the things that when God looked at Adam and He says, it's not good for man to be alone. Part of, the, part of the overwhelming reason that Eve was created was to fill that gap of companionship. Part of being united, and I'll talk about this next week, is just being friends. It's okay to be friends with your spouse. You realize that? You don't have to dislike them. Maybe you don't have to. You might choose to. You don't have to, though. It's okay to like them. It's okay to want to be around them. You know, the busyness of life, and, and if you're raising children, you've been through that, you know how difficult it is to maintain that companionship kind of relationship. It's hard. I mean, in some ways, it's next to impossible, it seems. But that, that's really what God has designed. And to follow a godly model means we, we look and we say, all right, I want to be united. I want to be friends with my spouse. Maybe you've got some people in your life also in following a godly model that you would say, you know what, that's the kind of marriage I can pattern my life after. You probably have, have grandparents or parents or friends or somebody like that. You say, you know what, boy, I can just do it half as good as they've done. I'll be okay. Well, we've got folks in our church who've been married for years and years and years. And you say, well, if I could just do it that way. If I could just be committed for that long. And we've got other folks who haven't been married that long, but let me tell you what, they've got great marriages. I mean, they love one another. They actually like each other. And that's amazing. Well, yeah, I love my, love my wife, but I don't like her. You know, I mean, we've got great marriages. There are plenty of good models, godly models for you to follow. And young people, let me tell you this. 
Maybe you'd take it upon yourself to look around and say, you know what, I, I've been watching those folks. I know they've been married for some time now, and they seem to actually still like each other after all that time. And, and I, what's the secret to that? Listen, I'm not your answer on that stuff. I've only been married 14 and a half years. Maybe young people, you take it upon yourself to say, can, can I just sit down with you? Would you please tell me a little bit about marriage? And I mean that. Humble yourself enough to say, teach me a little bit. And let me tell you, folks, if you've been married a while and you have not sat down with anybody who's younger in quite a while, please do it. I mean, I, really, I beg of you as your pastor, please do that. Don't assume that they're going to hear what builds a good marriage somewhere else. Take it upon yourself. Do it. And you may feel awkward and you may feel funny and you say, well, the pastor told me to do it. Blame it on me. That's fine. Please do it. Follow a godly model. Secondly, in that taking the right steps, fulfill your commitments. Now, this one's huge. Young people, make sure you listen to me on this one. This one is huge. Fulfill your commitments. Look in verse 7. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and send her away? Here's what he says. Jesus says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts, but it was not like that from the beginning. Basically, their hard hearts had gotten to the point where they didn't, they didn't care anything about their commitments. Doesn't matter. We'll just discard this at any chance we can. Jesus says, no, 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 hold on a second. The problem is you weren't fulfilling your, your commitments in the first place, and God was looking out for those women who, if they were divorced and sent away without any papers, would have basically had to sell themselves in order to make money. God's looking out for those women. Ladies, if you ever think that you're second in God's society, think again. God loves you just as much as He loves any man. God has elevated you to equal status spiritually with any man. God was looking out for these women right here so that they would not be discarded by society because of these hard-hearted people who had lost their commitments. Fulfill your commitments. Jesus is telling them, look, you, you've given up on all this stuff. They're looking for ways out of what they have committed to. You ever known somebody like that? They just want to back out every chance to look out. I know I told you I'd be there. I know I told you I'd do it, but I'm, something's come up. And basically, they just wanted to watch something on television as opposed to going and helping you with whatever they told you wanted to do. You have no idea what came up, but at the same time, they're looking for a way out of their commitment. So I wonder, young people in particular, what about you? If you're unmarried here today, how are you with commitments? How are you doing with your job? Do you show up on time? Do you do what is asked of you? And I'm, I mean that. I'm not being facetious. I mean, that, that stuff is important. Like I said, you're preparing for your marriage long before your wedding day. You realize that you fulfilling your commitments to your job, your employer, to your friends on keeping your mouth shut about stuff you should keep your mouth shut about. Fulfilling your commitments to your parents to honor and respect them. Fulfilling your commitments that you've made to school or wherever it is to be where you're supposed to be and to, to do what you've said you'll do. You realize that matters? You can't flip a switch and all of a sudden when you get married, turn on commitment mode. It's not going to happen. If you're not a committed person who fulfills commitments before you get married, you won't be once you get married. Because let me tell you, it doesn't get easier to stay committed. It gets harder that's the way that it is. Satan is going to attack you every chance he can when you're married. Because if he can destroy your marriage, according to what Ephesians 5 says, he can destroy a picture of Jesus and the church. He's going to try. So fulfill your commitments. And that's based upon a decision, by the way, not your emotions. 
I can't tell you, well, you should feel more committed. I can't convince you of that. But I can tell you that on the authority of God's Word that we have to choose and decide to be committed even when we don't feel like it. And anybody who's married here will tell you (laughs) there are days when you don't feel like it. There are days when you don't feel like being committed. There are days when you don't feel like being married. There are days when anything but being married seems really, really good at that point. And yet it's a conscious, everyday decision to say, no, 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 no. I've committed to this person and I will commit again today. Fulfill your commitments. And then thirdly, flee. I told you they were all F's, isn't it great? Flee sexual sin. Look at verse 9. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now Paul, in over in Corinthians, is going to talk about this a little bit more. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But, but Jesus here says that adultery is a legitimate reason for divorce. You are permitted in those cases to seek divorce, absolutely. But what I want you to understand, if you're an unmarried person, or maybe even if you are married or preparing someone... Jesus talks about here how sexual sin destroys a marriage. And it absolutely does. Many of you have experienced that. And what tragedy and heartbreak it brings to see someone who's caught up in that, who gives in to sexual temptation and leaves their marriage because of that. Sexual sin does not stop, or at least sexual temptation, rather, I should say, does not stop once you get married. Understand that, young people. It doesn't just turn off. It only intensifies. Because then Satan can destroy a whole lot more than just you. It's never localized. Some of you have been through that. You know that. So flee, even now, sexual sin. The habits you have go with you. The things you're caught up in are not innocent. They're not affecting only you. One day they will affect someone else. Even if you think they won't. So deal with it now. And maybe if you're a married person, an unmarried person, you say, I'm just caught up in this. I'm not going to embarrass you this morning. I'm really not. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to ask you to stand and say, hey, that's me. But I'm going to ask you to repent. I'm going to ask you to yield to God's design for your sexuality. And that is, if you are married, that is between you and your spouse only. Not you and your spouse and anything or anyone else. And if you're unmarried then it's between you and your future spouse and God, and it requires the fruit of the Holy Spirit, including self-control. That's what it requires. You don't have to give in to those things. You don't have to be caught up in that. The Holy Spirit living inside of you can give you freedom and give you self-control. He certainly can. And He's willing and He will. So flee sexual sin. So this week, you see it there, already filled in for you. This week, I will build my marriage even if it's years away. You're building your marriage long before your wedding day. Don't ever forget that. Parents, don't forget that you are instrumental in helping to build the marriages of your children long before they get even interested in the members of the opposite sex. One day, if you're an unmarried person... You'll realize this, and if you're married, you already know. One day, somebody will know you better than anybody else. And the greatest fear, I think, and the greatest tragedy that we see in a lot of marriages is that once we begin to know someone better than anybody else, the fear is that once they know me that well, they won't love me anymore. 
Let me tell you this from God's Word. Nobody knows you better than Jesus. And nobody loves you more. No matter what you've done, no matter what sins you've committed, no matter what mindset you've given yourself over to, no matter what kind of marriage or marriages you have had, Jesus knows you best and loves you most. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that even while we were still sinners, Jesus knowing us so well, that He demonstrated, He didn't just say it, He demonstrated His love toward us and He died for our sins in the midst of them. Jesus hanging on the cross looks out at those people and knows them better than anybody. What does He say? Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Do you realize that that extends to you today, whether you are a person who knows Jesus or you're a person who's just simply caught up in sin after becoming a Christian? Jesus knows you best and He loves you most and He offers you today forgiveness and freedom and brand new life and a new course and the ability to say from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that the old is gone and the new has come. That you can be a new creation and that only comes from Jesus Christ. You can't do that on your own. So this morning, let me extend to you the invitation to repent of your sin to believe in Jesus Christ as your sole means for salvation and to have Him make you new. And if that's not you this morning, maybe for the very first time, if that's not you, then, then I invite you this morning, maybe as a parent, to come and pray for your children. Maybe as an unmarried person to come and pray for yourself. Maybe as a, as a married couple to come and pray, Lord, help us to have the right view and to take the right steps to have the right kind of marriage. If you would, let's pray together. Lord, we're humbled in Your presence this morning, and God, I pray that, that You'd take the words of this fallible and sinful man, and You would, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, use them to penetrate the hearts of those who need to hear it. And I pray that if there's anything offensive this morning, that it only be the cross of Jesus Christ. That it only be the truth of God's Word, and Lord, that even in that offense, that You would help to convict us of sin, and You would bring us to Your view of things. God, I pray for healing for those who have gone astray. Lord, for those who are caught up and bound by sin this morning, I pray for freedom. For those who need to humble themselves and for the very first time submit their lives to Jesus Christ to repent and believe. And I pray today's the day. For those who are unmarried, those who are raising unmarried people, God, would you help us to be prepared and to prepare those for marriage. Give us your truth and remind us of it this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.